0: of his word this morning join me in prayer father thank you for your word it is truth and just as we prayed earlier it is the means by which you've given us one of the means uh, that you've given us along with your spirit and our fellowship uh, to lead us we thank you for that so lead us today lead us by your spirit and your word and help us not just individually but corporately walk with you we praise you for your word, we pray, that, praise you that it's everlasting, and we thank you that you use it, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It is my assumption that a good many of our laws in our country exist because foolishness exists, not all of them, but plenty of them. Have you ever seen... The warning labels that you read on some product and you think, why in the world is that on there? Like the baby stroller that says, caution, remove child before folding. Just caution, please. Or the drill that says this product is not intended for use as a dental drill. Can you imagine walking into the dentist? Some of you all have enough trouble going to the dentist and the dentist pulls out the drill. If you have a jet ski, you might see a label that says never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. That just seems wise, doesn't it? Uh, Dog medication has this warning. It may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. I do hope that one (laughs) was a joke. Like someone somewhere thinking, oh, this will be fun. Or uh, lastly, uh, there's a bar of soap that says on the label, "Use like regular soap," and I do wish my mom had read that before it entered my mouth. I do remember that quite well. In a world that is racked by sin, foolishness will be hard to avoid. Some of that will be our own doing. And some of it will be inflicted upon us. But I also wonder, as I think about foolishness, how much of our own foolishness has the Lord spared us from? In his mercy, we do not receive what we deserve for every senseless and stupid, and I'm going to say that, stupid decision that we make in our lives. I don't know this for sure, but I think part of eternity will be the Lord saying, you know, when you did that dumb thing, I kept you. From These consequences and you know when you did that silly thing I kept you from these consequences I think that will at least be part of eternity For those of us in Christ my theme this morning is simply this sin is terminal foolishness If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then we are all sick All fools apart from grace, needing a cure, needing a remedy. And so I want to talk about foolishness and its results and how foolishness foolishness reveals itself and foolishness remedied. Foolishness infects, it inflects, that is it bends us away from the Lord and it influences our lives. The end of chapter 9 Ended with this line, wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And then that same thought is brought forward in verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The point in both of those is it doesn't take much. Folly, foolishness. Or sin to ruin good and beautiful things. It's exactly what we see in Genesis 3. And you think, uh, well, it's just one little sin. How can that change so much? But that was exactly Satan's lie. Do what the Lord has forbidden you to do. Never mind that there's very little otherwise that he's forbidden. But do this one thing. It won't be a big deal. Satan's lie was that one small dead fly in the ointment or the perfume of God's good creation would not spoil all of it. But that's exactly what has happened. We no longer have a relationship with God unhindered by shame and rebellion, including our own. And I've shared this story before when I preach on Genesis 3. I share th- story about a shipwreck that happened many many years ago and there's lots of reasons a shipwreck could occur it could be incompetence of the captain there could be a storm that was impossible to avoid but in this particular case something had happened it was unusual and so they went to inspect this was some years ago but what they discovered in the compass box was a very small bit of metal a sailor had been given the task of cleaning the compass box He tried to pry it open. In prying it open with his knife, a little bit of his knife broke off. And that was enough to affect the whole ship. It went down. That small bit of knife blade exerted its influence on the compass and to a degree that deflected the needle from its proper bent and spoiled it as an index. Of the ship's direction. That's exactly what sin does. We think. Oh it's no big deal. It's not a big thing. A little foolishness won't hurt anybody. And that is exactly the lie. And we'll see the results of that. Because foolishness works its way. Into every aspect of life. Because we are far from Eden now. Verse 2 says. A wise man's heart. Inclines him to the right. But a foolish heart. To the left. Now, the ESV Study Bible explains the right hand is often associated with strength and blessing in the Old Testament and gives some examples. And the preacher is either referring to the left hand, sorry, any left handers out there, with a correspondingly negative connotation, or simply stating that wisdom and foolishness invariably reveal themselves in one's behavior, going one direction and another direction. Foolishness shows up in all manner of life, all parts of life. You can't avoid it. It shows up in those who rule over us, who lead us. That's what verses 5 and 6 address. That's a frequent topic in the book of Ecclesiastes. The preacher says, "I, I, I saw this, I saw a king who did this, and I saw these rulers. Do you have full confidence in the competence of those who lead us? All the time. I, I'm not naming names. I'm not naming political parties. I'm not naming anything. Do you always have full confidence? Confidence in their competence. Or their decision making. Or their self, selflessness. Probably not. It's a frequent topic. A big part of life. Uh, he goes on to verse 16. Talk about woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And your princes feast in the morning. It's basically saying when someone's not ready, when they're immature, and yet they're in leadership. When they're young and dumb, so to speak. You're not really supposed to feast in the morning. There's a right time and a right place for everything. So foolishness shows up in leadership, in government. It also shows up in work and life and just simply the dangers that we face. How many of you have stepped on the la- top of the ladder where it says, "Don't step on this step"? Yeah, anybody want to admit it? Thank you. I see that that hand in the back. We have at least one honest person here, right? Well, he who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Sometimes, just simply living in this world will bring about a measure of danger and foolishness that we bring about. The warning labels are a version of that. And being careful is wisdom applied to those circumstances. Otherwise, we are endangered by our own foolishness. And again, the Lord will say, I saved you from that. I kept you from that. Foolishness shows up in our negligence of caring for our surroundings. Look at verse 18. Through through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. How many of you said, I'll get to that later? All the time. And then later comes whether you want it to come or not, and maybe it is worse. How many accidents and mistakes have been made because of laziness, sloth? indolence sometimes foolishness kills us or it kills others and also it kills us in our souls not just our bodies because sin is terminal foolishness it always kills us spiritually there will always be a consequence though we may not experience all of them there will always be a consequence for our sin and for our foolishness And eventually, foolishness will reveal itself, especially in the unrepentant. It shows itself in our walk, in our words. Walk, how many, I think all of us today, we walked in here, didn't we? That's the most common form of travel all around the world is to walk. Now, you drove here. But you walked into the building, and so scripture often uses walking as a picture of the way we do or don't live, or should or shouldn't. So look at verse 3, even when, a, when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. I assure you, if you decided to walk home, it would be foolish to walk on the parkway. And that's pretty simple, of course. That that seems pretty obvious. And yet if someone were doing that, you might drive by him as you avoid him. It's a guy in my mind. And say, what a fool. He's going to get hit. He's going to get killed. He's going to get hurt. The New Testament then pulls forward that imagery of walking. And that's why I prayed, as I did earlier of Walking by faith, not by sight. Walking as children of light. Walking in th- as those who have been changed. And so, someone says, fools on the road have no sense of direction. Oh, I'm sorry, this is the Message Bible's paraphrase. Fools on the road, of verse 3, have no sense of direction. The way they walk tells the story. There goes that fool again. This shouldn't be the way that any of us want to be known, but if we persist, that's exactly how we'll be known. One of the most famous comedy sketches of all time is from Monty Monty Python's Flying Circus, and I don't think I've ever used Monty Python as a sermon illustration before, but first time for everything. You may know this when it's the Ministry of Silly Walks, John Cleese is the actor, the comedian, and he acts as a bureaucrat in the government of England. And the whole thing is the Ministry of Silly Walks is giving grants to bring about new silly walks. And he walks like this, the whole thing, through the, through the skit. He actually had to stop doing it because it was so hard. The British Medical Journal said that it takes two and a half more times energy to walk in the silly walks, which is his own lesson right there. And what skewered bureaucratic inefficiency and the like actually gives us a picture of the way many people walk and don't even realize how they look. The fool doesn't know, he doesn't realize. And do you walk like him or do you follow in the way that he walks? It's not just our walk, though, it's also our words. Look at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. One of the friends that I'll see this weekend has a famous saying. We remind him of it regularly to his shame now. We had gone at the University of Georgia to the intramural fields, and there's a lake there. It's more like a pond, like we have out front, but it's called Lake Herrick. And it was in the wintertime, and there was a sheet of ice over it. But keep in mind, this is Georgia, not Minnesota. And so he goes down and he's standing on this sheet of ice and he says it's always safer than it looks. Which is the exact opposite of wisdom. Now thankfully, this might be one of those occasions in eternity, the the Lord says, his name's Adam as well, Adam, I saved you from your foolishness that you did not take a swim in a frozen pond not wisdom and he does shake his head but a fool will speak out of the overflow of the mouth the heart speaks and we hear in verse 13 the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness he just keeps talking and lots of people have plenty to say but that does not necessarily equate to being helpful or wise. Lots of people make bold predictions about the future. That's what verse 14 is about. But that doesn't make them right. It doesn't give them wisdom. And our televisions are full, and probably the internet too, for that matter, are full of talking heads, as they are sometimes referred to. I wonder how many of them are actually talking fools. More of our words will not bring a remedy to our terminal foolishness. We need a greater word, and we need one who is the way, the truth, and the life to bring that remedy. We see it, we live it. Sometimes we can be described by it. So if that's the case, what is the remedy for our foolishness, for that sin condition? Well, the first remedy has to be a change of our very heart's. Psalm 53, one says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. A pastor said the ultimate folly is living life without God. Now, we will never be completely free of foolishness in this world. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't necessarily step on that top step of the ladder that says Do not step here. But having our hearts changed by God does reorient us to seeking his wisdom. We'll still place our feet where they shouldn't be. We'll still say dumb things. Our leadership in our families, in our workplace, in our church, in our community will still be damaged by unwise decisions. I'm not suggesting that we will be free in this life from that. But the Lord changes our hearts and reorients us towards him. And that is the remedy that we must have. Only then can we be described as the wise man or the wise woman or the wise boy or the wise girl in verse two. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right. What does that require? That requires the Lord to rule over my heart. And in Scripture, heart, especially in the Old Testament, but all of Scripture, heart is not just referring to emotions, but it's the seed of the will. It's out of which we act. Yes, emotion may be a part of that, but not only. And so I need God to change the orientation of my heart towards him. And then I become something different. I walk differently, I talk differently, I act differently. I want what Proverbs 3 says. You may know these verses in 3, chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's the first remedy. God has to change our hearts. And you can pray that he would do that if that's what you need. But if he has done that, then the second remedy is for us to seek growth in wisdom through Christ. Max Rogelin says true wisdom is a divine gift that comes from above. Now, I'm thankful you should be thankful for common grace That is, everyone is able to learn and grow in wisdom, generally speaking. So there are people, right, who maybe when you were young, you did foolish things. And you thought, as I grow and mature and gain wisdom, I think maybe I shouldn't do those dumb things. Thankfully, that can happen in everyone. But as a follower of Christ, I am able to receive more than common grace. I received that grace of salvation that changes my walk in the world, and now I'm seeking God's wisdom in my life. We look to Jesus because he is wisdom from God for us. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. We're not ashamed to admit, apart from him, we are fools. We aren't ashamed to continue to ask God to give us wisdom that does not come from from within it comes from without this requires humility which is spiritual wisdom in action as we boast in the lord and him alone we may be considered fools by the world's standards again first corinthians addresses that chapter 1 but we are not ashamed to say that god has chosen to work through us And work through Christ in us in order to subdue us and lead us. And so the final remedy is to apply the wisdom of God in our lives and the world around us. Where do you gain that? You gain that from scripture. You gain that from praying. You gain that from surrounding yourself with other wise people. Maybe those who are older than you or have experienced more than you. Who can show you what it means to apply wisdom in different circumstances whether that's in the workplace or in your marriage or in the way that you interact with the world. And as I tell you frequently, my most frequent prayer in next to the Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is, Lord, give me wisdom. Because James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Our elders and deacons will tell you that when I lead us in our meetings, I always start our time of praying and praying for wisdom. Because at least, and I think it's true of all of our men, I'm not ashamed to say, I don't have it. God, I need it from you. Help me to apply it. So I'm constantly asking. This chapter is mostly about foolishness, but there's little bits and pieces of wisdom hints Wisdom itself doesn't save us. It doesn't make us right with God, but it does reflect a changed heart. And so a few examples in this passage, verse 4, is about our response to those who are in authority. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, how about just change out ruler for boss? If the anger of your boss rises against you, do not leave your cubicle. For calmness will lay great offense to rest. So if you keep your calm, you keep your heart, then there's the opportunity to declare and show wisdom, even to one who may not have it. So that's the concept. Uh, Verse 10 in the Hebrew, I think, is work smarter, not harder. I think that's the rough translation. Right. Don't use a dull blade. You're just going to work hard and hurt yourself. Take more time. Verse 19. Which says bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. So we take the good gifts of God and we use them as He has given them and provided them for us. Derek Kidner says God's wholesome gifts are good and their proper use, delightful, and perfectly sufficient. Now if you take that wine and you get drunk on it like the young ruler is described, then you're a fool. But you can use the gifts of God in right place and right time and benefit from them. Verse 20, watch your heart and watch your tongue. Gossip has a way of being found out, that sort of thing. So be careful what you say. Even in your mouths, do not curse the king. That would not be wise. I'll conclude with this. You may recall back in the fall, some climate activists thought they'd make a statement at the London's National Gallery that's where one uh, copies of Van Gogh's famous sunflowers not copy but there's one of 7 of the sunflower works that Van Gogh created in 1888 and 1889 and one of them's there and so you probably have seen it and these activists hurl cans open cans of tomato soup on this painting its estimated value is 84 million how foolish to do that they then glued their hands to the wall which doesn't isn't all that effective that also seemed foolish what they didn't realize what they didn't know is that there is a glass coating that you cannot see over the painting so while the frame had minor damage the painting itself was unharmed a foolish act was met by greater wisdom long before this event wisdom took steps to provide and protect that painting and it's of i mean great value well on good friday it looked like the priceless life of christ had been permanently marred and harmed at the hands of a multitude of fools Jews and Gentiles both how foolish to kill Jesus the son of God he certainly suffered damage at the hands of foolish men but we are reminded that Christ is wisdom incarnate and Easter which we just celebrated demonstrates that God's wisdom his greater wisdom always prevails our terminal foolishness was met by the greater remedy you cannot heal yourself but the great physician can and does and with this new life that we receive in christ then we have the ability to grow in god's wisdom and put away our foolish and childish ways may we look to christ and seek his wisdom and if we need him to change our hearts then we seek that as well and look to apply what he's given to us praise be to god for this remedy in his son join me in prayer Father, thank you for your word, and I pray, as I often pray at the beginning of a sermon, that where there's encouragement and edification and exhortation, I pray that those would be your words, and they would remain with us. Lord, I I pray that this would not be a matter of just simply trying harder, but it would be truly seeking you and your wisdom. But first, Christ has to rule and reign in our lives, and so we pray for that. And, Lord, where there may be confusion or uncertainty or verses here that I haven't explained or that aren't clear, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uphold your word, not mine, and you would do your will, and your wisdom would be in this place. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.